continuing our series in one life, a study of the book of Ephesians. And in the entire month of May, we've been talking about our identity in Jesus Christ, that we as the people of God are in Christ. And that trumps all the other brands that we use to identify ourselves. Now, on this first slide, I want to remind you of some of the things that we talked about three weeks ago that the book of Ephesians covers. Uh, six points. And today, in particular, the third point we're going to learn some more about. But the book of Ephesians brings together these themes about who God is, his identity, about God's cosmic vision from eternity to eternity, about your identity, about your destiny and about your security in Jesus. And then finally, uh, the one that's highlighted there, that's number three that I skipped over, about God's mysterious plan to create unity in the world through Jesus Christ, his son. And three weeks ago, we talked about these as being uh, fruit, as being oranges, that Paul couldn't carry all, all of these around with him, so he condensed them into a can of orange juice concentrate. And now when we read the book of Ephesians, it's like we're stirring water back into that concentrate and we're making orange juice again. And so we're taking what he has tightly packed together and we're trying to breathe uh, some life into it and understand how it applies to you and to me today. And so today we're going to do that in particular with this third point, God's plan for unity. And we're going to spend the month of June unpacking this one point. Now today... We're still talking about our identity, being in Christ. And in June, we're going to talk about unity, how we are one in Christ. And so here's how this is going to work. Today is all about the truth, the identity of unity that God has already given to us. You can't change it. You can't modify it. You can't be in Christ without it. It is simply the identity that he's given to us. And then next month, we'll talk about how it works. How do you participate in it? How do you help further it? And all of that will come in the month of June. So let's think together for a moment about something that all of us have experienced when we lacked unity. Each of you has a moment in your life, I'm willing to bet, a moment that you can remember pretty well when you were either included or excluded. So the prototypical example is on which fenced-in, flat, fairly tame and safe, but everyone knows, completely barbaric venue. Which is the place that you go to when you're young and you're in school, and it's, it's fenced off so you can't run into the road, and it's got swings and it's got slides so that you can have fun and, and enjoy it, but everyone knows this is real, where the real barbarism of the human race takes place, Right? Everybody say it with me. It's the playground. Everybody remembers this, don't you? Going out from class for recess, and then somebody choosing sides. This might have been one of the early moments in your life when you realized there were sides. Now, if you grew up in a family of three or more children, you probably were already well aware that there were sides. But showing up at elementary school, maybe if you were an only child or your family just got along you know, remarkably well, you learned about sides. So it would work like this, wouldn't it? Somebody would say, let's play kickball or whatever, and then they would pick the tallest, strongest, fastest third grader in the whole group, the one who looked like he already belonged to be in the youth group, right? 
and he would be the one who would be the all-time pitcher, and, the, and he would kick all the home runs for that one team, and then they would go down the line, usually picking shorter and shorter people, smaller and smaller frames, until you got to the little guy at the end, maybe me, and they'd be like, all right, I guess you can join our team. Now, doesn't that make you feel loved? When people say, all right, I guess you can join our church. There's, you know, a few things that we don't think you're really going to be able to do. We don't really see that you've got a great singing voice, or we don't think that you're going to become a great teacher, or it's hard to see how mature you are in Christ, but I guess you can join our group, our church, our team. It's a moment of exclusion, isn't it? And all of us experienced it when we were little, and you've probably experienced it as you've grown up. There's another side to this, though. There's a second side to the coin, which is many of you were included. Now, what does that feel like, to be included, to be the third grader who already looks like he's in seventh grade, to be the girl who was given that powerful kick, you could kick the kickball over everyone's heads. What's it like to be picked first? Well, it's deceptive, but it's the same problem. It's deceptive because it feels so good. We can see that you have so much to offer our team. You're the fastest and the strongest. You sing the best. You're totally going to be able to preach and teach our classes here. We would love to have you on our team, in our church, on our group. And why is it deceptive? Because pride is also a false identity. Just like the shame of being left out is not your real identity in Jesus Christ, the pride of being included because of what you're able to do and contribute is also a false identity. Now listen to this, church. You were all excluded at one point in your life. All of you were left out of something. And this is the mechanism by which the world taught you to exclude. Let that sink in. You were left out of something. And that's the mechanism by which the world and Satan and his dark presence that's behind the, the times that people are abandoned, the times that people are left out, the times that people are excluded. This is the mechanism by which you were taught to exclude others. So we all suffered under it, and then we all did it to other people. And it was based on false ideas that either you weren't worthy or you were so worthy. And in Jesus Christ, this is the truth. We're all worthy only because of Jesus Christ. Now, let's look at the Scripture together. We've already heard it read twice today, so I won't take long on it. But I want you to see that Paul is talking about exclusion and inclusion. He says, remember that those of you who are Gentiles by birth, and let's simply remind or teach in case you don't know this, the New Testament was primarily written with two groups in mind. The people of God from thousands of years past, the Jews, and people who had not been God's people, everyone else in the world, no matter what nation or tribe you were from. And most of the New Testament letters are written addressing this problem. So you who were Gentiles, not the people of God, you were excluded by birth and called. Now look at what Paul says they were called, uncircumcised. This might not strike you in the heart the way that it would to an ancient person, to a Gentile, but think about the names that kids call on the playground. Think about the things that they say. 
Think about the way that kids, even in junior and senior high school, use these names and titles to create different groups and separation. I remember in high school now that we had quite a few different names for groups that existed. You had the jocks. Everyone knows those were the people, the guys and the girls that played varsity sports, right? You had the nerds. Those might have been the ones that were really good at math. I'm not saying you should ever call anybody this. This is just what people did when I was in school. You had the geeks or whatever, and they were all good at technology and stuff. And then in my generation, we had a group that I'm not really sure exists anymore. Uh, in fact, we had two of them. One was called the Goths, and they dressed in black and had lots of rips in their clothes and wore like dark purple or black makeup and would often dye their hair and just really looked sad all of the time. And then you had the skaters, and I wanted to look like a skater. Now, I didn't want to be a skater. That was dangerous. But I wanted to look like a skater just a little bit because I wasn't sure where I fit. So skaters wore, in my generation, these gigantic jeans. They, had, they were called pipe jeans because they literally looked like sewage pipes that were like this big that had been strapped onto a human body, usually with not enough belt. And kids would wear these jeans, off, they were Jenkos and there were some other brands, and they were a problem in stores and in schools because they were so voluminous, is that a word? They were so big and wide that you could hide stuff in them and shoplift, so people would do a lot of shoplifting wearing Jenkos. And I wanted my haircut to be real long and all of that. And guess what my dad said on both points? You know, no and no, right? which made me feel very excluded. But these are some groups we had. What are teenagers doing, just like the kids on the playground when they create these groups? They're using names to identify. And here's the, one, here's the names that the Jews used in the ancient world. They had two groups in mind, the uncircumcised and the circumcised. Now, this was like the Jews using our modern saying that they were a cut above the rest. The Jews were saying that they were the best in society because of a surgery that had been done in their men's bodies. And so Paul says this about it. It's done in the body by human hands. You see, Paul immediately says what you're doing is using a human idea, a human name, a human surgery to distinguish yourselves. And the funny thing is that the, the word Paul uses for human hands in this verse is the same word that he uses in the Greek version of the Old Testament when they call idols that people worshipped made by human hands. Do you see what Paul is doing? In the Old Testament, the Jews said, things that are made by people are not worthy of worship or identity formation. Now Paul says, but you've put all your identity in something that's done by people. So it's not good enough. Just like being picked or not picked, just like being in the group of skaters, goths, nerds, geeks, or whatever, it is not enough. Jesus Christ gives you more than that, and he erases all of these other false names and titles that we come up with. You see, this is a joke from Paul. His jokes and his little, his little humor in the New Testament is often missed because we don't read it in the same language. But Paul is cutting up right here with this joke. And now he's going to show how Christ cuts you in on the deal, even though you used to be cut off. Are you following with me? 
He's going to say, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You're going to flow in a new identity. Now, I often hear people now using this term, what are you flowing in? And I think what it means is, like, what are you enjoying or what are you identifying yourself by? What are you flowing in? And you can flow in different things, right? You can flow in a spirit of gratitude. You can say, today I'm flowing in a spirit of gratitude. I'm thankful to God. You can flow, though, in some pretty dark spirits. You can flow in spirits of animosity. You can flow in jealousy. And think about the songs that we just sung that Michael picked. I don't know if he did this on purpose or not, but two of them, nothing but the blood. And do you remember the words from the song? What are you flowing in in Jesus Christ? It says, oh, precious is the flow. Right, church? Precious is the flow that makes us white as snow. And what is it? It's the blood of Jesus that brings you near. The other song we sang was Power in the Blood. It says, sin stains are lost in its life-giving flow. Right, church? So whose flow are you going to, to be in? The one that gives you names and titles and cuts you off from community by the, by the things that they do and the way they exclude or in the blood of Jesus, and when we think about the blood of Jesus flowing, we need to picture it as an unstoppable, irresistible, forward-rushing river. Jesus' blood isn't a trickle. It's like the drainage basins of the Mississippi River. Because Jesus' blood is always flowing downhill, and it's always bringing people along with it. And it's gathering people from every nation around the world. And all of the groups that we might separate ourselves by, Jesus' blood flows into that territory. And he says, I'll take the skaters. I'll take the goths. I'll take the nerds. I'll take the guys that made the kickball team and the guys that were left off the team. And I'm going to flow with all of them into one mighty rushing river of God. Now, just like the Mississippi River Basin has multiple tributaries. You've got here on the screen behind me, in the blue section, it's the Red River Basin. And the green one is the Arkansas White River. And the red one's the Missouri River. And that kind of pink one at the top is the Upper Mississippi River. And there's the Lower Mississippi River and the Ohio River. And all of these basins are places in the country where people talk different, they eat different foods in Colorado than they do in Louisiana. They have different ideas of what America should look like. They have different ideas of what church should look like. These are very different people, and yet the water sources that they drink from that gives them life flow in one direction towards the sea and combine together, and by the time you get down there to the great Mississippi River, you've got runoff that's come from every one of these people. And this is what the blood of Jesus is doing in the world back then and now. He's collecting people from all the nations along the way, and he's bringing them together. So look at what Paul says. You see, it's Jesus himself who's our peace, not the names that we give ourselves, not the fact that we make a team. He has made the two groups one, 
and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. That probably refers to the old law under Moses. By setting aside in his flesh, not in ours, not done by human hands, but, but, but done in Jesus' body, setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself, and I want you to all say this out loud with me, one new humanity. Now, I want us to practice it again. His purpose was to create in himself, you ready? One new humanity. And hear this, church, one flow. One flow. Hear this, one identity that trumps all identities. Now, Jesus, throughout the New Testament, Jesus' teachings and Paul's teachings never says that you can't still enjoy your nationality. It doesn't say you can't still enjoy your ethnicity, your race. There's no prohibition in the New Testament that says that men should act like women or women should act like men or anything like that. You can still enjoy the other pieces of identity that God has given you. In fact, in the book of Acts, it says God put people in different nations at different times in history for the express purpose that maybe they would seek him and find him. So God isn't eliminating all the things that you know are true about you and that you enjoy doing. But there's one identity or one flow that has to be the most important one. The headline on all of your things that identify you and separate you and mark you out. And this is an identity that includes more than it excludes. It creates one new humanity out of the two. And by that, Jesus made peace in the world. Now, we still have wars, but in Jesus Christ, there's really not a need for them. Oh, there's a need for them because of the spiritual darkness that's in the world. But in Jesus Christ, he's made peace. And this is holistic peace. This is peace at home, peace in your heart, peace with the world. This is peace in your job, peace in your identity. All the way around your life, Jesus is saying peace to every point that other people are saying you don't measure up. You don't have the right identity. And in one body, his goal is to reconcile both of them, and in that here, all the world, to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through Christ, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Now, Christ says in this verse right here, Christ says, inspiring Paul through his spirit, that the way we get access to the Father is by flowing in the Spirit. We know Jesus' blood is flowing throughout the world, collecting people and bringing them together. But here Christ says we have access to the Father through the Spirit. So we're flowing in the blood of Jesus. We're flowing in the identity of Jesus. And now we're flowing in the Spirit of Jesus and of the Father that's bringing them together. There's an idea of confluence, which means flow together, that we see in this passage and also throughout the rest of the New Testament. And I want you to help me today, as we kind of move forward, I want you to help me by illustrating it. This idea that things can flow together. So on your bulletin, there's a big amount of white space on the back. And if you've got a pen in the pew in front of you, you've got your bulletin, I want you to take those out and I want you to draw a big letter Y like this, nice and tall, a nice capital letter Y. And I want those two arms that form the top of the Y to come together like that and leave lots of room at the bottom. And can you see what we're doing here? This is a letter where two strokes of the pen flow together. 
So I want you to draw this because we're going to use it in just a minute. And now I want you to see the letter Y that God wrote on the earth with his finger, okay? And that's metaphorical because he created this. But look at this letter Y. This letter Y, seen from down at the stem of the Y, shows you on the left a river flowing downhill towards you from your viewpoint, and on the right another river flowing downhill towards you, and they meet right at this point. And then they flow together. It's a confluence. They flow together. And this particular confluence is in a city right near where I grew up. It's in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. This is called the Three Rivers. And so the Three Rivers is so core to the identity of Pittsburgh that they've named a bunch of stuff after it. Even one of the sports stadiums in the history of the city was called Three Rivers Stadium. And then they blew that down and built better stadiums. But they still like to talk about the three rivers. And right in the middle of them is a little park called the Point State Park where two important military forts used to stand. Fort Duquesne that was built by the French and later Fort Pitt that was built by the British. And then later Americans you know, took over both of those and used them as a fort for a while. And today they have bricks in the park that make an outline of the old forts. Now, why do people build forts at a confluence? Why do they build stadiums at a confluence? Why did the city of Pittsburgh grow up around the Three Rivers confluence? The answer is simple. There's so much potential when things come together. There's potential for shipping and trade. There's lots of water for drinking and cleaning and washing and running hydraulic engines and producing stuff. The steel industry that grew up around Pittsburgh needed all that water in the industrial processes that they used to build steel for these bridges in Pittsburgh and skyscrapers throughout the world. You know that great arch in St. Louis that we love to go visit, the gateway to the west, was built with Pittsburgh steel. And it's the water from these rivers that fueled the process because when things come together, there's great possibility. And this is what Jesus is trying to do in his world with you, the ones in Christ, and the world, the people outside of Christ, as he brings us together. Look at it from above. This is the same river, and it's hard for you to read, but I'll describe it. The river on the top right is called the Allegheny, and the one on the bottom right is called the Monongahela. Now, if you want to have fun with the sermon today, at lunch, everybody practice saying Allegheny and Monongahela. You'll crack yourselves up trying to get those two right. My wife's been married to me for five years, and when we go home through Pittsburgh, she's always going to house again, Allegheny, Monongahela, and we practice it, right? Because they're so funny to say. And the question would be, like with most rivers, well, which one of them is going to keep its name when they flow together? Which one retains its identity? One of the rivers surely has to give up its name for the other one, except they don't. Here you have the Allegheny and the Monongahela, and when they come together, the river that's formed is the Ohio River. There's an identity change. They both give part to the river, but in the new humanity that is made, when God draws people from inside Christ and outside Christ, and he brings them all into Christ together, a new identity is formed. This is what Paul is teaching the Ephesians. You're not merely Jews anymore. You're not merely Gentiles anymore. You may not realize it, but if you've been baptized into the flow of Jesus Christ, his blood and his spirit are in you and cleansing you. 
then you are not merely the old names that you used to carry. You've got this new identity, and it's the same one that the people that you used to exclude carry. Let me share with you this morning just briefly one important example from the book of Acts. If you guys would, maybe just black the screen for a second. I didn't put this in the slides today, but I want to read to you from Acts chapter 8. And if you want to open up your Bibles, this will just take a second, but I would really like you to see it. Because what Paul is describing in theory actually took place with real people. There was real people who had to give up their identity to flow into Jesus Christ and who found a greater identity once they did. And if you want to read about the great confluence of the nations in Scripture, read Acts chapters 8 through 12 this week. Acts chapters 8 through 12, people like this flow into the body of Christ who were always excluded before. The Samaritans, always on the outside before. A eunuch named Philip in Acts chapter 8. And if you've got a finger there, I want you to stay there because we're going to read that. A man named Saul who was already a Jew, but he was a murderer and an opponent of Jesus Christ. And then, later on in chapter 10, um, a man named Cornelius and his whole family, and they were just straight-up Gentiles, right? They feared God and they prayed, but they were outside of the Jewish community. And then as you go even further on, at the end of chapter 12, there's a whole, at the end of chapter 11, there's an entire church in the Gentile city of Antioch, that begins to send out missionaries to the world, and they're the ones who start the world mission movement and commission Paul and Barnabas to go out and preach to other Gentile churches. All of that's between chapter 8 and 12, and all of that is when God, surprising everyone in the world, starts to flow in these little streams and tributaries of people. Eunuchs were never allowed in the people of God, and now suddenly they come flowing in. Look at 8.26, Acts 8.26, I want to read this part to you. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south on the road, the desert that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch. Now do you remember when the Jews were making fun of the Gentiles by calling them the uncircumcision and saying that they were a cut above? This guy has gone all the way too far in the other direction. You see, the Jews take pride that they've cut something off of their bodies, but this guy is excluded because someone cut too much off. And so he was in Jerusalem, worshiping at the temple, but probably not allowed inside. They wouldn't let any male who had this kind of surgery done into the temple to worship, and on top of that, he's a Gentile. He's got two things going against him. Talk about not being included on the team being ridiculed in the school, being left out of every opportunity in life. And look at what happens in verse 30. He, Philip asks him, because he sees him reading the Bible, do you understand what you're reading? Philip asks the eunuch, right? Do you understand the Bible? And the eunuch's question just breaks my heart. He says, how can I? How could I understand it? unless someone explains it to me. Do you see it? He had just been in Jerusalem. No one taught him the scriptures in Jerusalem. He had gone to the city of God, the very place where the Jews had a temple and they worshiped at this beautiful building, and no one taught him the scriptures because he didn't fit in. He wasn't flowing in what they were flowing in. He didn't look like them, and he didn't sound like them, and they said, 
No, we won't teach it to you. And so Philip's like, don't you want to love Jesus? And he goes, nobody has told me about him. And Philip preaches from that very point in the scripture about Jesus Christ to him and includes him. And then the eunuch asks this crazy good question. He says, I see water over here, right? What would prevent me from being baptized and included in the flow and the confluence of the people of God? And they get out of the chariot, and Philip and the eunuch walk down into the water, and Philip baptizes him in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit into the blood of Jesus, and now he's flowing in that. And he receives the gift of the Holy Spirit, and now he's flowing in that. And his, he says he goes away rejoicing. Because for once in his life, somebody said, I don't care that you have never kicked a ball before. You're on the team. I don't care what clothes you're wearing. You're in our group I don't care that your lifestyle and your surgery and your ethnicity and your country doesn't look like our way of worship. You're in Christ, and so you and me, we're one new humanity together, brother. Now look at the way Paul ends it, and then we'll be done. If you go uh, one more slide. He says, consequently now, you who were excluded and had been taught to exclude, you're no longer foreigners and strangers but your fellow citizens with God's people and members of his house. And he changes the metaphor here from a flowing river to a house being built, from the foundation up. And the apostles and prophets in Christ Jesus himself is the chief cornerstone in the foundation. And in Jesus, the whole building is joined together like two stones from different quarries and rises to become a holy temple to the Lord. The temple that the eunuch could never get into because he was excluded, well, now the temple isn't a building anymore. It's the people of God. And guess what? You're in it. You're not getting to go in the temple. You're part of the temple. Final verse. In him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Now you who used to be excluded and you were taught to exclude, now you've been included. And guess what that does to you? It makes you learn to include. You've been graciously included in Christ, and so you look at others and you say, I bet we can find a place for you in the church of God. Amen, church. Amen. And so today as we sing this invitation song, we want to include you as well. We don't care what your record is. We don't care what you look like this morning. If you want to be baptized into the flow of Jesus' blood, we'll do it right here and right now. And if you want to be included through prayer with the people of God, our elders will be at the front and the back to pray with you and to welcome you because together we're being joined into one people. Let's stand and let's sing the invitation song together.